And we're going to have a great conversation with Rick Turnquest. He's in studio as my guest, Mara Dude. And hey, Bob from Michigan, I just got a text from him. He says, hi, Rick. <laughs> hi, Bob. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Love. I get these great text messages from, from Bob. I greatly appreciate it. And Bob, you have a great day. You are treasured, valued, and a great friend. So appreciate that. Conversation about Tabor. You have written an excellent piece that's on AmeriChicks.com. You said you're going to be doing a companion piece on your blog. Where can people find that? Yeah, my blog is called ToAdvanceFreedom.com, and uh, it's the words T-O, uh, AdvanceFreedom.com. And uh, Kim, thanks so much for asking me to uh, to take a look at Tabor and, and talk about it in the in the show this week. Um, you know, as I wrote this article and, and dived into the uh, state budget, I learned so much information that I felt the need to write a companion piece, which I'll be publishing on my blog next week. Okay. But, uh, you know, what I wrote and what we've published on AmeriChicks.com, uh, why Tabor matters, you know, Tabor is a, is a hugely controversial aspect of our Colorado State Constitution. And what, ta- what Tabor stands for is taxpayer, it's the taxpayer's uh, apostrophe S, Bill of Rights. Um, known, you know, shorthand as Tabor. And it was passed on the 1992 ballot as Amendment 1, and it passed with 53% of the vote in that election. And basically all Tabor does is it it puts four constraints on government in place with regards to taxation. The first one is they have to ask us for uh, permission to increase our taxes or to impose new taxes. They have to uh, make that ask in a regularly scheduled election. They can't have special elections for that. It, it stipulates the language that they have to use. And if you've noticed on your ballots over the years, any time they ask for a tax increase, uh, it's all in caps, which is so hard to read. I wish it was just in normal, mm-hmm. um, you know, written language. And then finally, um, they, they also have to ask the voters to uh, approve any kind of a debt issuance. If the state wants to issue bonds or revenue bonds or whatever, uh, that has to be approved by the voters as well because the voters ultimately have to repay that have money. Have to pay that, okay. And, so, and then the excess refund. And the excess right, revenue. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And and you know another stipulation is that Tabor puts in place a limit on how much money the government can collect through taxation. And if they collect more than that, they have to refund it to the taxpayers. And and over the years there have been you know several votes where the or ask us to keep it, mm-hmm. and that's completely reasonable. So for example, say there's a two hundred million dollar overage that may only amount to you know. 10 or 15 bucks per taxpayer. And, you know, it may not be significant to a person individually. And, but it's, you know, 200 million, you can do something with mm-hmm. that in the state budget. But, and they want to keep that. And, you know, they're, they're all mad because they have to ask us to keep mm-hmm. our money. But at the end of the day, we earned it. We created the value that, that produced, you know, we created the value that they took from us through force. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, and just a note on that, you know, and typically, Politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties uh, would say to people that are the voters, they'd say, hey, it's only, you know, two or three cups of coffee. You know, what is it to you? Just let us keep it. But you think about $200 million that would be infused back into the economy by hardworking, everyday people. That makes a difference. Yeah. And those cups of coffees go to the go to the businesses that, that sell coffee. Oh, good or, point. <laughs> and, and you get a cup of coffee instead of nothing. And you get a cup of coffee, right, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it. the principle is that, you know, it's our money, we earned it. You know, people always say, oh, it's free or it's, you know, government money. Let's, let's be very clear. 
all government money comes from the people that earned it. Mm-hmm. And most of it comes to the government through force. You know, you, you can't opt out of paying taxes. And if I could, I'd opt out of paying taxes that go to CSU. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, with what they're indoctrinating <clears throat> kids up there at orientation. So the formula... <clears throat> The formula that defines the amount of tax revenues that governments are allowed to keep uh, basically uses uh, population growth and uh, the inflation rate as the limiting variables. And over the years since Tabor was enacted, there have been many, many votes to ask voters to ease the limits on Tabor or to allow tax increases. I remember when I worked for the city of Centennial back in the early 2000s, we went to the voters to ask for a sales tax increase, and they said yes. And that just shows that uh, you know people are willing to fund local prog- projects with accountability in their own communities. But on a statewide basis, the voters have been very consistently anti-tax over the years. And in the blog, I've I prepared a table of uh, several votes over the years since 1994, which shows the results of uh, several Tabor tax increase requests. And uh, with the exception of uh, Amendment 23 in in the year 2000 and uh, the marijuana tax stuff back in uh, 2014, the voters have consistently said no to tax increase requests. Uh, You know, they asked to increase our sales and use taxes uh, several years ago. They asked to increase twice. They've asked to increase the personal income tax rates and also to create a what's so-called progressive income tax, where you tax higher earning people at higher rates of uh, at higher tax rates. And uh, the, of course the uh, amendment 69, the socialized healthcare, that one failed by almost 80 to 20. So, even in this last election where Colorado voters, uh, in their wisdom, sent uh, majority Democrats to the state legislature, they still voted no on, on the tax increases that were on the ballot last year. So it's been very clear over the years that Coloradans don't want to pay more of their money in taxes. You know, just a quick note. It is a head-scratcher to me, though, that, uh, that we did send overwhelmingly uh, people to the legislature and, and the governorship who really do want to take more and more control and do want to raise taxes. So we send them all as uh, we elect them into office, but yet when asked whether or not we want to pay more in taxes, we say no. I mean, it's a, kind of schizophrenic. It, it really is. And, and the, matter, you know, the fact of the matter is that one of the reasons I think that they, that so many Democrats won and why they have control is what I call the progressive advantage. And we talked about that a couple months ago, and you can read about that on my blog to advance freedom as well. So what are the benefits of Tabor? And, you know, I think the, the clear benefit of Tabor is that it limits the growth of government. And, and with that said, that's the intent of Tabor. However, as I've dug into the state budget numbers over the years since Tabor has passed, the state budget has still grown by about 300 percent, depending on how you measure it uh, in that's those years. Significant. And, and so I just can't even imagine what it would look like without Tabor, because without Tabor, in years where we've had Democrat-controlled of the legislature, and I'm thinking back to 2013 and again uh, this last session, you know, there's there's no doubt that they would have imposed higher taxes on us to fund education, uh, to fund health care, to fund uh, a various other host of, of uh, you know, their agenda items. And we would have had no say in that. And, you know, California has a tiered income tax rate in the highest tax rate in California uh, for higher income earners or more, as I like to say, more productive people is 13%. And that's outrageous. And that's on top of their federal income tax. That's right. That's right. And that's why, uh, you know, 
And I don't know what it's like to be a multimillionaire. I don't know if they care about paying that much money in taxes, but I do know that some people move uh, away from California in order to evade that higher tax rate. I don't know James Hetfield Metallica bought a bought a place in Aspen and moved out of uh, this, the Bay Area just uh, to get away from the higher taxes. taxes. And yeah, and he's a hunter too. So, um, so you and know, uh, just a cl- clarification: they're they're not evading taxes; they're just moving away right. from. Uh, and, that's a great point, and I, I shouldn't have used the word evade because that's illegal. But, um, you know, there's a great book out there. It's called An Inquiry into the w- Nature and Causes of the Wealth of States, and it's written by Arthur Laffer and a few other people. And they take a look at state tax regimes, and they found that states with no income taxes do better than states that have income taxes economically. And he, they do an in-depth study of 11 states that adopted an income tax within the last uh, um, 20 30 years and, uh, you know, the economic results in those states and, and without, without exception, they're all doing more poorly than states that don't have income taxes. So I don't know if we're ever going to be able to get away from an income tax in Colorado because fully two thirds of our general fund comes from income taxes, but it's a, it's an interesting book. I'm going to read it. I'm probably going to write a book review on it and, uh, and hopefully maybe we can discuss it on a future show, but, um, it's a, it's a very important topic. Colorado has a flat income tax rate of 4.63%, and everybody pays that regardless of whether they are, you know, I'm sure there's exceptions for lower income people, but uh, uh, but it's 4.63 and it's, it's flat. I think the reason that we want to talk about Tabor and why Proposition CC is on the ballot, because politicians and bureaucrats and interested parties of both parties – Yes. Republicans less so than Democrats, but I know I've heard some Republicans who -hmm. who have railed against Tabor. But, you know, the the fact of the matter is they hate Tabor with a passion. And, and, you know, the regressive left in Colorado hates Tabor with a passion because it limits the growth of of government. And it means they can't impose new taxes on us without our permission. And there's other factors that come into play with Tabor that we should mention. One of them is the Gallagher Amendment, which was adopted in 1982, and it puts a cap on how much government can collect in property taxes. And, um, you know, I've, I think this is interesting because, you know, I know in Texas, where they don't have a state income tax, they also have really high property mm-hmm. taxes. So, uh, you know, here in Colorado, we've, we've uh, told the legislature, no, you can't have more money in property taxes. And, and that's probably one, one reason why there's an upward pressure on, on the income taxes. And then there's also um, Amendment 23, which was adopted in 2000, which requires the government to increase spending on uh, K-12 education every year. And that, that places a definite upward pressure on, on the state budgets. Now, just a quick question on that, because we had Senator, our former state Senator Kevin Lundberg on earlier this week. And I'm, I'm researching this out, but he brought up something and uh, Patty look, was looking up, uh, I'm trying to find the actual language of each of these. And Amendment 23 was only supposed to be for 10 years. And so he says it's not, it's not relevant uh, uh, now. And so look, let's, let's check that out and let's maybe talk about that next, uh, next time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh... I did not study Amendment 23 in detail, so that's... Uh, and the narrative that you are, are giving us is the narrative that is being pushed out there. So let's do some more research on that, and uh, we'll get back with all of you on that one. So, But if, continue on. Uh, just wanted to uh, check on that. So in, the, in, you know, in, in my post, I, you know, when the 
the state treasurer um, has a clear anti-Tabor message on his website, his government, his official. I U- think you had that state in your piece, didn't yeah. you? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was really significant because, you know, state positions are supposed to be nonpartisan, but this is very, very clearly an anti-Tabor uh, screed on, on the official state website. You know what? Let's hold that thought. Let's go to break because you've got to hear this. It's uh, astounding that this is on an official government website here. So we have Rick Turnquist in studio as our guest, Ameridude. We're talking about Tabor and his very important uh, piece that we have at americhicks.com. And again, your blog is where? To advancefreedom.com. Okay. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back. Thrilled to be having a conversation with Rick Turnquist. And Katie just texted me. She said, loving your show today. Rick Turnquist has great insight. Well, thank you, Katie. Okay, so uh, let's jump in here. It always goes way too quickly. So before we went to break, you were going to let us know what is on our state treasurer's website. Yeah, so uh, state treasurer Dave Young clearly is uh, not a Tabor fan. Uh, He describes Tabor as follows. Colorado's Tabor Amendment restricts revenues for all levels of government, state, local, and schools, which is true. Under Tabor, state and local governments cannot raise rates without voter approval and cannot spend revenues collected under existing tax rates if revenues grow faster than the rate of inflation and population growth without voter approval. This is also true. Under Tabor, the state has returned more than $2 billion in tax $2 billion to taxpayers rather than using those funds to pay for K-12 education, higher education, transportation, public health services, public safety, and other services. In 2005, Colorado voters approved Referendum C, which suspended the revenue limit in ta- on Tabor from 2006 to 2010 and modified it for future years. However, as I look at it, my, you know, this to me has an anti-Tabor slant. And and the fact of the matter is, yeah, they've, re- they've refunded more than $2 billion to us over the years, that's great because that's what Tabor's designed to do. And yet in spite of that, growth of the budget in all of those areas he mentioned has been huge. And and so... Do you have any numbers that you can put your fingers on or on that or not? Well, I actually do. So I've actually prepared a, uh, a table which uh, compares appropriations by department between uh, fiscal year 93, 94 to the current year, fiscal year, which is 19 to 20. And let's see what he mentions in his... You want me to give them yeah. to you? Let's see. He said, uh, here we go. K-12 uh, education. Yep. So K-12 education um, has grown by... Almost 300% in the last 27 years from five or 1.6 billion in uh, 93, 94 to 6 billion in uh, 1920. Uh, what was the next one? Okay. Um, you mean 2020? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. The next one was uh, higher education. Higher so higher ed has grown by uh, 220%. Okay. Uh, from 1.5 billion in 93, 94 to 4.9 billion in. 2019 to 20. Okay. Transportation. Now that's one that they, they don't typically give as much money to. So, yeah. And this is, this is something that I found really sad, actually. You know, Colorado's population has grown by 75% roughly, depending on what numbers you use um, in the years since Tabor was passed. But our, our transportation funding has remained really constant um, as a percentage of the budget. And I, th- I really found this interesting when I was looking at the numbers because uh, the average transportation appropriations over the years since uh, Tabor was passed has been about 6.7% of the budget. And uh, it just 
stays right about the same. And so in, uh, let's see here, transportation. So in fiscal year 93, 94, it was half a billion dollars. This this year, it's uh, $2.1 billion. It's still only 6, 6.5% of the of the total budget. And uh, the growth of that is, has been about 300% matching the rest of the budget. But they still consistently underfund transportation. And, and, you know, I know you have your, your hardcore libertarians out there who don't see transportation as a legitimate function of government, but I think most other people would agree that it, it, it is a function of government to build these roads and bridges mm-hmm. and, and, and argue, you know, leaving aside the argument, whether it's propri- of the propriety of transportation as a function of government, the fact remains that it's a very underfunded function of government. Well, and the other thing, when you're talking about transportation, most people think about roads and bridges and we have 75% more people on our, our roads and bridges. And people like the the convenience and the safety of their personal vehicles. But in those transportation numbers, they've been using a lot of this money for light rail and for buses and uh, bike lanes and things like that. Oh, that's very true. And, you know, when, when they talk about transportation, you know, of course, you and I think of roads and bridges. But what planners think of is, is ways of, get of getting us out of our cars. <laughs> and, you know, I, I ride light rail most days to go to my work to go to my job and and uh if you had to pay the real cost though which would be about five times that amount would you do it probably not yeah probably not but the fact of the matter is um you know i don't know of very many state legislators who take public transportation to the capital they drive their cars which burn fossil fuels most of them and park in saved parking spots at the Capitol, and yet they're telling the rest of us to get out of our cars and use public transportation. So what, what, they're, what they're saying, what they're doing are two different things. Uh, quickly, public, uh, public health, how much has that gone up? Oh, gosh, public health. And, and what is that number? By... So I'm going to take, there's several categories of public health, and I'm going to kind of just take the the way I've aggregated them between the two years because they have different line items for the two years. So in the 93-94 budget, healthcare, public health, and human services was a total of $483.5 million. In this last year's budget, it's grown to $11.7 billion. That's a 2,321% increase and a growth of $11 billion. So when you talk about where is our state money going, the largest chunk of our state budget goes to health care policy and financing, which is uh, Medicaid. It's, it's other programs that, uh, that are health care related that are uh, offered by the government to the citizens. And, and you know, you have to really, you know, we voted down Amendment 69 by 79 to 21% in the election of 2016, yet our state government still is paying $11 billion or a third of our budget uh, in healthcare-related uh, expenses. And I want to dig into those a little bit more. Okay, yeah, so we'll have to talk about that next month when you're back. Um, we can see the importance uh, of this. And because of this, Natalie Minton is sponsoring through Colorado Engaged, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights Boot Camp Training. It's August 3rd at the Lakewood Library. That's at uh, 10200 West 20th Avenue. It's going to be from 11 to 2 p.m., a 1030 check-in. And Natalie is asking people to contribute $20 each to cover the costs. That includes a booklet, refreshments, and a T-shirt. You can get more information and sign up for the training at Colorado Engaged dot com, Colorado Engaged dot com. When we get 
when we get frustrated saying, what can we do? One of the things we need to do is to make sure that we don't turn more, the spigot on even more to give these folks more money. So with that uh, proposition, CC. So there's going to be a ballot uh, uh, initiative on the ballot called Proposition CC, and it's designed to cripple Tabor. And uh, this last session, the uh, the General Assembly passed a bill, which was House Bill 19-1257, which was sponsored by Speaker of the House uh, Casey Becker, Representative Julie McCluskey, Senator Lois Court, and uh, nominally Republican Senator Kevin Priola. He's the only Republican who voted in favor of the bill, and he's the one who and you know supporters say it's a bipartisan bill but i don't think that the inclusion of one rogue republican really makes it a bipartisan right. thing and what cc does is basically says the government state government can keep all re- excess revenues into perpetuity meaning no more tabor refunds ever and those funds are supposed to be uh, designated for public and higher education, which has already grown by tremendous amount, as well as transportation infrastructure funding, which, as we've just discussed, has typically been neglected. Um, as far as education goes, you know, it's really hard to know how much of society's resources should be allocated to public schools and higher education. But one thing is for sure, there never seems to be enough money for either. And I would question the investment we in education with the results that we get. And I know there's a lot of people more knowledgeable about that than I am that, uh, that would probably say that the return is not that great on the investment. So why, why would we be why would we be spending more money on on all that? You know, on that note, I do think that people would really like to get to a point where we are getting more money into the classroom and paying our good teachers more. That's right. And, and uh, you know, there's a website everybody should look at called Vote No on CC, which talks about that. And one of the talking points against it is the fact that um, the government state government refuses to prioritize Colorado's needs. And although our state budget has been growing by a billion dollars every year, uh, despite a 20% increase in education spending since 1990, teacher pay is down 20%. So giving more money to the government without stipulating, you know, more strictly how it's spent, I don't think is a good idea. And that's another one of the great beauties of Tabor is you just have to ask us. You have to make the case. And uh, But politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties are, they, they don't want to ask us. And so you're seeing Proposition CC, which is trying to take the teeth <clears throat> out of Tabor. And then I think there's going to be a full outright assault on it in the 2020 election. I believe so, too. And, and I, I, I actually welcome that conversation because um, given the votes of the voters over the years against tax increases, I believe that if Tabor repeal was on the ballot, it would fail by a significant margin. Okay, well, we're going to keep working on it. Rick Turnquist, thanks so much for being in studio. Well, thank you, Kim. It's always a pleasure. And again, your blog? Uh, to advancefreedom.com.